Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Really exciting for me to be here um, in the city where I was born. And, uh, um, yeah, this is a lot. I've had some vodka, so we're going to just feel this. Um, so the first thing I want to say, um, just before I read anything, uh, before I get into that set, is that it's been a paramount joy um, for me to uh, um, travel across the country and invite some really profound writers locally um, uh, to come be a part of uh, this experience with me. And when I went to Google um, Shia Diamond, I was really taken aback, and I was like, I have not been living my best life when I found her. Um, her music is phenomenal. Um, if, you're, if you're not familiar, you need to go Google it, go find it. It's for sale now. She's got an EP out that I believe is called Seen It All. Yeah? There it is. Um, she's amazing, and, um, and people everywhere are talking about her, and I felt like a sudden fool, which is fair, because that's, uh, that's usually my experience. So it was a joy for me to discover her music, and I'd like to invite her up now to perform for you. So everybody give it up for Shea Diamond. Uh, I kind of got a little confused. I was like, wait a minute, am I performing? You know, I didn't bring my muscle, you know. Normally I have my guy Aaron with me, you know, he plays the guitar and he just, oh, that's my guy. I take him everywhere I go. You know, he's absolutely amazing. So I was like, she said, she's going to perform. I was like, I'm going to perform, oh my God. <laughs> but you know what, normally, I know you guys are used to trans people who or um, just people in the LGBT performing. But guess what? <laughs> it's your turn. <laughs> so, before I begin, you know, you guys, I'm not like a book writer, you know, like Amber, you know, who's absolutely amazing, you know. I'm just a songwriter. Um, you know, my journey, you know, started um, rough start, um, hell of a rough start. I was one of the disposable ones who nobody wanted. I mean, nobody wanted. Um, so it was like my journey. It, it, you know, it didn't. It showed me how strong I could be because I was, I was ready to give up at each and every time I had this horrible thing happen. You know, I, you know, you know, I came into my truth, and you know. My uh, mother and my family didn't understand it. My friends didn't understand it. Nobody understand it. So she's like, get up out of here with that, honey. Mm -mm, not in my house. Not in my house. So for me, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to go for it. And so, um, you know, my journey started. I didn't know anything about the world and people and stuff. You know, I had this misconception. Oh, I was like this cartoon person. I love cartoons. I love the happy ever after, you know. I was secretly hoping I got my happy ever after. 
And so, you know, I had dreams like everybody else. And so, only thing I was taught is, don't act like that, don't do that. You know, so, for me, I wasn't prepared for this rough world that wasn't, you know, concerned about those things, you know. Uh, they weren't concerned about my tone and how I spoke and how I stood and, and if I crossed my legs or if I didn't, you know. The world was a lot rougher than that and I wasn't prepared for it at 14 years old. So my journey was interesting. A product of the foster care, you know. Again, nobody wanted me. So before I get up into all that stuff, y'all, I'm just gonna um, push out of work. <laughs> so I'll start off right. I'll start off here, just to let you guys know what's happening. So this is what I prepared. Hello, everyone. I would like to first of all ask everyone to stand up. All right. I want to make everybody in here, in this space that I'm in, uncomfortable. And so people are usually uncomfortable when they have to stand up. And did you notice I was sitting down? I didn't stand up. So I got everybody in the room standing up. Why? tell you why. Now imagine being uncomfortable for 24 hours a day, 365 days a year for the rest of your life. No one knows or cares for that matter what it takes for a trans person to walk into, walk out of their homes, sorry, and into the world, the excitement of knowing you could be harassed, assaulted, discriminated against. Honey, you could be killed for simply Living your best life. Oh my God, what joy. So, if you are trans, you cannot sit down. The rest of you, honey, I'm going to live the trans experience for one day. So, the treatment of trans people are misconceptions, stereotypes, labels created to demonize trans people. Limit their resources, prevent them from achieving success, love, and healthy relationships. Information and misrepresentation of trans bodies are focused on secondary sexual characteristics. Trans people are considered the great in-between. Men are protected by women. Women are protected by men. Women are protected by women. Men are protected by men. But who protects the trans person that is often judged equally as harsh by both male and female? Relationships become complicated and challenging. Acceptance from either male or female seems to be based upon society's norm, not individual contributions. Trans people need to be understood. People fear what they don't understand and they hate what they fear. Once you can see trans people as human instead of males or females, maybe our lives will matter too. So, the introduction, this is where it gets juicy, y'all! <laughs> I know, you normally they're telling y'all be quiet in library. Shh. <laughs> Why do you invite me? <laughs> So, if they ever have a role for Motormouth Mayhem, 
Y'all say she'll be back better for that. <laughs> honey, honey, because mm, I'm loud, in charge, proud of who I am, and it took a long time to get here. So, ooh, dropping stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, the reason why I was late, y'all, is because after a year of finally deciding to sow my oats a little bit, you know, I was slow with it, did everything I was supposed to do. He asked him to use the restroom. I said, yeah, go ahead, use the restroom. Of course. So I'm watching all my valuables. But the restroom, what are you doing in the restroom? So I'm thinking like all the things a trans person needs to think in the restroom. Securing your valuables. Arm yourself in some type of way so you can have something to grab that's on hand just in case this person is crazy and, you know, actually transphobic and crazy. Um, so these are things you have to prepare for. So the restroom, no problem. Nothing's really in the restroom. Except for my makeup. <laughs> this man wiped me, out of, uh, wiped me out of all my makeup. So everything I put on today was just like a fixer-upper, <laughs> you know, so I was like late and I was so glad that everybody else was late. <laughs> but here you go, y'all. So who wants to be exploited? Any volunteers? Oh, oh, I like it! <laughs> I like people who are not afraid because in this life you cannot be afraid to be a part of stuff, you know, and this helping me, yeah, honey, like a little help every now and again. Okay, so I'll have you read this special one, okay. if that's what I have, and I'll save you for last. Okay. So I'm 84. I gotta sit down. Okay. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. You know, I'm, I'm not cruel. Y'all, I'm not cruel. <laughs> I'm not cruel, y'all. I don't want y'all to be like, it was this 84-year-old man. It was the average father, and she made him stand up the whole time. And it's like, she purposely tried to drag it along slow. <laughs> Three more volunteers. Ooh! One, two, three. Oh my god, yes! And I'm going to hand these out individually, no prejudice, no nothing. So these people get a chance to live the trans experience for a day. So we'll start with. Just in case we have you. We, as long as we have you last. How, it doesn't matter. As long as you know you last. You're the special one. You know, because that's another problem. Sometimes we pick out trans people and we figure out who's going to be the special one. So some trans people actually get a chance to exist safe. And no problem. They're called the passable ones. So if nobody knows you're trans, if you never tell anybody you're trans, if you, doesn't, if you don't have to wear your identity on your sleeve, then you're safe, you know? And so nobody speaks out for the people who aren't so safe, for the kids who just want to be safe coming up in school and don't want to be bullied. And so if we're going to speak about being bullied, then understand that trans people are bullied every single day. And understand that trans 
sexualism starts very early. I knew I was trans, like about three years old. So I knew something was different. So, you know, I am Kate. Her journey, and you know, it's it's very unique because people don't get a chance to live that experience. Our parents aren't as open as understanding. It's usually, you know, you're not the child I said I had that revealing party for. I wanted a boy. <laughs> Life's not fair. I wanted a girl. Got a trans child. So it's, you know. That child is going to internalize that for the rest of their lives. It's the damage that you're doing to the world. If you allow people to be themselves, they allow you to be themselves, and the world can continue to grow. And so if we can say that one person deserves right, but rights, but another person don't deserve rights, then this thing of having this cycle to where somebody has to be the marginalized and somebody has to be the one that's uplifted all the time and nobody get a chance to reverse those roles ever. So what does a person have to live for? First reader. Hello, my name is Kay. I woke up this morning trans. I want everybody to hear you. Hold on. Wait, I'm gonna give you a mic. Okay. You know, you're a trans person. You need some visibility. Right. Yeah, they need to be heard. We try to silence trans people. This is a trans person. Uh, hello, my name is Kay. I woke up this morning trans. I now have anxiety whenever I have to leave my house. I realize I no longer fit into gender norms. Today on the train, no one would sit by me and others moved. I have to deal with toxic masculinity and bullying from both males and females. I was physically attacked by several people. No one came to my aid, and they just recorded and laughed. Society and media objectify women, glorify masculinity, and demonize trans people for existing outside of gender norms. This means I can be killed for simply being my authentic self. What would you do if you had to walk in my shoes? Would you take them off? I am her. Everybody say, I am her. I am her. Everybody say, I am her. Everybody say, I am her. I am her. Wait a minute, I'm something in this ear. Wait a minute. Maybe, maybe the New Yorkers are just louder, or everywhere in the world is louder except for LA. Maybe I need to give y'all a mic or something. Hold on. Try it again. Everybody say, I am her. I am her. Woo! Now I believe it. So you're that experience. If one person is affected by something, you're affected by it. So you can't expect something that's happening in this world to one person and it's not your experience and you go blind to it and you go deaf to it and you say, well, I don't know what happened. I'm so sorry for your experience. No, you're not. No, you're not. If you were sorry for the experience, you would say something. Next reader. Hello, my name is EJ. I'm a heterosexual, cis-identifying individual with two children. Today, I was mistaken as trans and attacked on the streets in broad daylight. There were people around and they did nothing. The ambulance came and both of the paramedics, one male and female, refused to treat me or even touch me. I could hear their conversation about me not being a real male or female. I swear I, I even heard one of them laugh. I laid in the street until I bled to death. And no one did anything to save my life. 
I matter, I am normal, was my last thought. I no longer had to think about countless others that suffered the same fate simply because they were themselves. I no longer had to think about the fact that I could have changed this outcome by creating an outcry. I no longer had to think about how I could have used my privilege and influence to change the world instead of being a part of or, or allowing the problems of the most marginalized to go unheard. I suffered the fate of a trans person, but I'm normal. What would you do if you had to walk in my shoes? Would you take them off? I'd love to change the world. Everybody say it. I'd love to change the world. I'd love to change the world. I don't believe it. That's a big, big statement. Those aren't just words. They mean something. Either you're going to be a part of the problem or you're going to be a part of the solution. Every day you hear people talking every time, oh, this happened in the world, oh, this happened in the world, that's happened in the world. I can't take it no more. I can't stand it. I can't go outside. You got people who are afraid to come outside because the world is so chaotic. Say, I w I'd, like, I'd love to change the world. I'd love to change the world. Now I believe it. <laughs> Next reader. Okay. Thank you. Hello, my name is David. I'm a person of trans, of trans experience. I have lived my life in stealth. No one knows I'm trans. Today, because of my disclosure, I was fired from my job. I have been dealing with harassment from my neighbors, and I'm not seen as either male or female dealing with law enforcement. I called the authorities to resolve the issue, and they became a part of it. I was arrested and put in jail with others that harassed me for being trans. I just want my piece of the American pie. What would you do if you had to walk in my shoes? Would you take them off? American Pie. Everybody say American Pie. American Pie. Everybody say American Pie. American Pie. American Pie is the American dream. It's the piece of the American dream that everybody wants. Everybody has the same desires, the same needs, the same rejections, the same feelings, the same the same everything. We experience some of the same things, but we still distance ourselves and say, that's not us. How does that make sense? What gives you the right to think that you're supposed to have the whole damn pie? Ew. Give somebody else a slice of pie. Ew. So when you see somebody that when you go and you're going to your fancy dinners, because at first I, I never had the, the chance or the opportunity to be able to do these things. I was wondering. I never got a chance to sit in fancy restaurants until now. and never got a chance to have makeup artists and somebody doing your hair and things of this sort and somebody telling you this and that other and people actually uplifting you and all this old great stuff. When I go out and get something to eat and I see homeless people standing outside, probably we're out there all day long. Now, I don't mean everybody, because you got some people. Now, I came from New York before I moved here. And New Yorkers, honey, they'll be on the train. Listen, I ain't trying to, uh, we ain't trying to use you. We ain't trying to abuse you. We just trying to uh, feed our family. And so uh, we just trying to look up, you know, we you know, we ain't trying to abuse you, ain't trying to use you. We just trying to get a couple change, you know, for a, a little bit to eat or something. 
So the whole story is already programmed and they do it every single day. So you know who is who. And you know who is actually hungry. You can tell if a person has been thirsty. You've been thirsty before. If you've never been thirsty before, you need to ask somebody, would you like some water? So water is usually 99 cents. You can give somebody some water. You don't have to feed them. Giving a buck is not going to hurt your pocket every now and again. You know how people would go to the church and give thousands of dollars and feel like they did something? Guess what you did? You're paying for this person to ride in fancy cars, maybe. You're paying for their light bills. You're paying for the church light bills. You're paying for the outfits that they have to wear because pastor has to look good. Can't have pastor running or uh, uh, driving around in that car. We gotta raise money for pastor. I'm the first lady. Now we gotta raise some money for pastor. We can't let pastor go and in that car he got y'all. So y'all ready to pass around that bucket? Pass on around that bucket so we can pass a new car. We pass around that bucket for these lights. But can you give one buck to somebody who is hungry on the streets and and, and pretend like that's your tithes and offering? That you fed somebody. So you know exactly where that, that money went. And it felt a little good. Now sometimes when you put it in the basket, you pretend like it feels good. But you still question in the corner of your mind, where is this money going to? Do you see somebody with something new? Pastor done bought his, new, his, his wife something else? And his girlfriend something? If he was going to do that, I could have saved that and paid my light bill. Instead of praying that, that I can get some money to pay this light bill, I just put it in, into this offering that went to her new coat. Next reading. Hello, my name is Amber Tamblin. I was born into a gender role that I didn't agree with. At 14 years of age, I ran away from home to live my truth. I'm a product of the foster care system. My family, friends, and religious groups have rejected me at the age of 14 years old, and I've got nothing to live for. I committed a crime to have a gender-affirming surgery and was incarcerated in a men's correctional facility for 10 years. I endured the same trauma that was inflicted upon me in the free world, just with less rights and more inhumane conditions. I wrote songs while incarcerated as a response to a world that says I shouldn't exist. I've never known a trans singer-songwriter to have success in the music business. On top of that, I'm a person of color that isn't respected, accepted, or protected by or from either gender, male or female. All my hard work and passion to change this narrative, not just for myself, but for the countless other trans and youths that dream of having equal access to opportunities such as adequate health care, affirming surgeries, love, safety, protection, and acceptance is constantly challenged because people just don't understand, so they instead demonize my existence because of my past, present, and future. I wear my identity on my sleeve to give hope to the dreamers like me that will never have the door opened as a lady or be respected like a man. It's a man's world, and who runs the world? Girls. 
What would you do if you had to walk in my shoes? Would you take them off? Seen it all. Everybody says seen it all. Seen it all. Everybody says seen it all. Seen it all. Let the universe hear you say seen it all. Seen it all. Now you gotta break it down a little bit. You know how like you can say it with in, like in different tones like so first you say it fast. Seen it all. Faster. Seen it all. Faster. Seen it all. Faster. Seen it all. Slow it down. Seen it all. Again. Seen it all. Again. Seen it all. In my life, I thought I'd seen it all. I thought that the, that the chapter to my book was already closed. I thought that the author had already written my story and I had nothing to live for. And I could imagine, I could look at people around me and, and tell what my future was going to be. I could look at it every single day I was presented by it. Seeing the depression that came, I seen what happened when, when people can't afford to, to 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 feed their kids and they have to borrow some money. I, I knew what it was like because I had to do it myself. How oh, can I get about thirty bucks so I can get some food from the grocery store? I know what it, what it was like to get out of prison after ten years in a men's institution and not be able to get food stamps to be able to get something to eat. Not to be able to go to college because they were wondering, why didn't you sign up at 18 and, and, and go into the service? Because y'all didn't want the gays in there. So at 14 years old, you know you did, they didn't want a trans person running up and through there. So you have to tell your experience in everything you do so that you can never live in stealth and be safe because people want to know who you are and what's between your legs so they can demonize you. So people want to know exactly who you are when you first come into this world. Is it a girl or a boy? If it's a girl, then they're going to protect you. If it's a boy, they're going to make you rough. So what do you do when it's a trans child? Do you just kill them as a parent? Do you kick them out of your house as a parent? Shame them? Tell them because of your religious belief, you believe they're going to die of age or something. And let that sit with them for 40 years. I thought I'd seen it all. I thought that my life, obviously, was just going to be nothing. I had a record on now. They didn't even accept me before without a record. And now I made this crazy thing to make this crazy decision to do something outside of the box and try to figure, okay, being this good person is not working. So maybe I can do like everybody else and take it or, and, and this, this and that and other. And so I'm following my influences. I'm a product in my, of my environment instead of changing my environment. So I was a part of the problem instead of a part of the solution. I took the easy way out. I always thought about the easy way out. 14 years old. How about suicide? After incarceration. In, uh, during incarceration, how about suicide? After coming back out after 10 years and st still seeing the same response from family and friends and stuff, they didn't want to have nothing to do with me just because I was trans. I'd give it my last. I let people stay with me before I was yes sir, no sir, for, since I was a child. I was the epitome of what you would think a good child was, but I just couldn't be enslaved in this thing that they were forcing me to be. 
and there was a man. I didn't identify with being a man, and I never will. So if make, being a man makes you feel comfortable, give me the respect that you would give a man. If you see a trans woman as a man, give her respect that you would give a man. And if you do see her as a woman, don't treat her as if she's the lowest of low women. Treat her with dignity, with respect. Treat her as if you would treat your sister or your mother. Because she may be somebody's sister or somebody's mother. Seen it all. I thought I'd seen it all. But look at me now. Signed artist. Got makeup artists at the, at the call of a button. I don't, you know, you know, designers are like, girl, you wear my stuff? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so it's amazing. And I want that for every person to be able to live their dream. American Pie is a song. Look it up by Shea Diamond. Seen it all. It's a song. Look it up. By Shea Diamond. <laughs> oh, and it's me, P2, it's y'all. So, uh, oh, thank you. Thank you for that say. No. And I love to change the world. It's, I, it was a cover by me. So I really connected with that song because I was like, you know what? That song was written so long ago by 10 years after. And the lyrics of the song are so powerful. And the thing about it is, back in that day, a, a person of trans experience would have been, wouldn't have been able to sing that song. Now I sing that song all the time. It's one of my favorites. And so it was also um, on the ABC miniseries, When We Rise. And uh, so when y'all check that out, know that a sister gets some money. You know, go and watch that. Share that. Tell everybody about it. And tell other shows, too. Because, you know, sometimes I get offering, you know, like, look, we are, you know, Disney's always looking for new music or somebody else is looking for new music. Shit, Diamond is right here. I don't discriminate against no show. You know, um, promote this music. Show the world something different other than what we've shown them before. Let's find a little bit of equality. If good music is good music, let it be good music. And if good books are good books, go out and buy them. So right now I'm encouraging everybody to what? Go and download. I don't believe y'all. I can tell everybody going to do it. It's like about five people going to download it. You can hear it, right? You can hear it with like five people. How many people are going to download Seen It All? Seen It All! Yes, baby. Okay, and also... I wouldn't be a, a, a great guest if I didn't tell you guys to also get these books. Both of them. I plan on getting it. Get these books. Get them signed. These people are traveling all over the world. You have the, the privilege of having them here. What have you done to deserve that? Who are you people? You people must be important, somebody. Because this is amazing, somebody, y'all. 
You know, everybody is somebody. But I mean, this is this is an extra extraordinary person. These writers, I couldn't write stuff like this. Y'all get these books tonight. Get these books, and when you get the books, try to get a picture with the writers. Get a picture with the writers. Get them signed. Picture with the writers. Signed. Bookstore, one of my favorite bookstores in the country. Um, uh, born and raised in Los Angeles here. Um, my mom and dad are here. My dad was just complaining that he couldn't smoke a joint before this reading. So, um, uh, you need to step out and smoke a joint during this. I feel you. It's all good. I'm not going to be upset. Um, I'm going to read a short passage um, from this novel. Um, for those of you who um, uh, may not know what it what the subject matter is or what it's about. Uh, the book explores, um, it's called Any Man, and it explores and looks at the lives of several men who are um, assaulted by a female serial rapist. And the story really aims to look at degendering the conversation around sexual assault. So that we make sure that movements, revolutions include everyone, because um, oftentimes they don't. So. Um, uh, so I'm going to just read a couple pieces, and then I'm going to invite my lovely friend Janet Fitch, who I'm super nervous to talk to. Oh my heavens. No big deal. It's just Janet Fitch. Okay. So I'm going to follow just a, a, a slight piece from one of the characters, as opposed to reading a few from several of the different characters. Um, uh, and this character's name is Donald Ellis. Camilla rolls me in a wheelchair down a Listerine reeking hospital hallway toward the elevator. It's easier this way, they tell us. It will be painful for me to walk again for a few weeks. I can't lift my eyes to meet those of the nurses, patients, or doctors as I go, but I can feel them. I am a damaged relic leaving the museum for good. What would you like for dinner, Don? Camilla asks. Light talk is as good as any other way to begin my death sentence. Steak, lasagna, all food is a last meal. Fish, everything leads to my execution. I'll have the fish, please. And Camilla, my dear, can we swing by the bar on the way home? I think I left my body there. The elevator doors open and a woman and her husband step out carrying flowers and balloons bearing the words, get well. She stops at the sight of me and gasps holds her husband with a hand to his chest. I'm sorry, but are you, are you, are you Donald Ellis? No, ma'am, but I get that all the time. You must have mistaken me for a butcher's block. You must have mistaken me for a skinned deer. 
You must have mistaken me for some coward. Donald is no longer with us. Donald died reading a poem to a bullfighter. Donald was scratched to death by a peacock. Donald passed away trying to make love 200 meters under the ocean. Donald left this world chiseling turquoise out of rock with his bare hands. Donald's fingers bled to death. Donald swallowed 100 matches and rubbed his body against a volcano. He died instantly. Donald got into an argument with the moon and died instantly. Donald met his friend for a beer after work and died instantly. Donald has to explain to his children what happened and will die instantly. Donald will touch his wife's thigh and die instantly. I just want to say... It's so awful what happened to you. You're, you're like all over the news, but, but just like know that everyone is on your side and sending you prayers. Donald dies instantly. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry to ask, but would you mind if I got a selfie with you? <laughs> so Donald leaves the hospital and goes home. Um, mother, would you take this? It's probably photos of my child. <laughs> um, Donald goes home, uh, home to his house and has um, uh, quite an experience about um, not remembering where he lives and who he is and about trying to reassess his body and what it means um, now with a lack of a particular part of his genitalia. Um, after that, uh, there's a report of another man being assaulted and shortly thereafter, Donald receives this email. May 8, 2016. Dear Mr. Ellis, my name is Marsha Broskov, and I'm a producer of The Melissa Hope Show. As you may know, Melissa is a legal commentator with the number one current affairs talk show in the country. We think you are absolutely riveting and have been following your story since your assault a few months ago. We are big fans. We would love to bring you on the show to discuss your activism and your thoughts on your attacker. Please let me know. Best, Marsha. May 9th, 2016. Hi, Marcia. Thank you for reaching out. I haven't really done anything of this measure before, and I'm not sure I'm entirely comfortable going on a talk show at this time. I, I don't know. I, I, it's still hard for me to speak about it. I, I need to discuss it with my wife. I, I really don't want to go into the details of what happened that night. That's, that's the main thing for me. I'd rather discuss the culture surrounding sexual assault and how, how few people report actually being assaulted, but also how few are actually believed. That's what I'd rather talk about. Let me know what you think. Thanks, Donald. P.S. Out of curiosity, how did you get my email address? May 9th, 2016. Great to hear back from you, Donald. Why don't we go ahead and confirm your participation? And you can always pull out if you need to. <laughs> no pun intended. I find with these sorts of things, it's always better to get on the books than decide later. We will, of course, understand if you change your mind. Yes, we can absolutely discuss the broader themes of society's role in rape culture and the issues facing men and women today. Regarding your email address, we called your daughter's school and someone there gave it to us. Hope that's okay. That's Marsha. 
Marcia. Later, Marcia, girl, Marcia. Yeah, After some time, this sort of begins to escalate and turn into a much larger conversation nationally. And um, after several more men have been assaulted and attacked, a reporter reaches out to Maud um, via the only one of the only ways in which she is um, has shown herself, which is on in a chat room. Joshua from the Dispatch newspaper. Dear Maud, my name is Joshua Greenfield and I'm a reporter with the Dispatch newspaper. In the event you ever check this OKCupid account again, we would love to get a statement or comment from you regarding your relationship with Jamar Sands, Donald Ellis, or Paro Sullivan. Specifically, we would love to hear from you directly regarding your motives. Perhaps one of these men did something to you at one point. Perhaps you have your own history with violent men. Were you ever sexually assaulted or abused yourself? Anything you'd like to share with us would be greatly appreciated and would be printed verbatim. Looking forward to hearing from you and thank you for considering this best. Joshua, Maud is offline. Good evening. I'm your host, Melissa Hope, and thank you for joining me on BCN's number one primetime television talk show covering all of America's most horrific stories and injustices right here on the Melissa Hope Show. Our top story tonight Male sexual assault. As you know, this program landed an exclusive interview with Donald Ellis mere months after his assault and has continued to lead the charge with the most up-to-date information and coverage on this horrifying case as it continues to unfold, centering around a female serial rapist. Joining me tonight on the Hope panel, Brenda Landowski, a forensic psychologist and former FBI investigator, now a fellow BCN contributor. Welcome to the family, Brenda. Jennifer Sampson, a criminal defense de de attorney. And Meryl Bichette, social media critic and blogger at everythingmen.com. Meryl, break it down for me. How is Twitter reacting to all this uncertainty? What's the general consensus out there among the top voices in America? Give me their reactions. Did anyone watch at Melissa Hope Show tonight? Hashtag mod to penetrate and coining that term as a stroke of genius, a consensual non-violent stroke, Daniel Tosh. At Pulitzer, please give at Melissa Hope the big P for naming the lady who did bad things to some dudes, fat Jew. Conflicted about hashtag mod to penetrate. Why was this married father of two drinking with a random woman in the first place, Megan McCain? False. Maude is not part animal, at least not that we know of. Snopes. Can a man be raped? Some say not possible. Join the Maude to Penetrate debate tonight on Facebook Live. Facebook. Yes, men can get raped. There is no Maude to Penetrate debate, only rape. Teen Vogue. Dudes cannot get raped, all caps. Trust me, not possible. Someone is lying. Hate Maude to Penetrate debate. Kanye West. My new is written for the victims of Mod to Penetrate. Donate to my Kickstarter album fund today. Amanda Palmer. Read Jonathan Saffron Foyer's new short story, Mod in the Medusa of a Man's Arousal, in our summer issue, The New Yorker. Mod's all, I'm not going out tonight. I'm just going to stay home, Netflix and rape Whitney Cummings. Join our panel of experts tonight to discuss the heated topic of male rape on Fox News, Sean Hannity. We will be protesting outside Brown University today, where Senator Donald Ellis will be speaking about sexual assault, the Westboro Baptist Church. Don't worry, we are working with the greatest to catch Monster Mod. Disgusting. America has the most amazing experts. I think we all know who that is. I don't read this part normally, but I'm going to in honor of you. Breaking, man comes forward as fifth victim in Maude to Penetrate attacks. 
the Associated Press. 46-year-old Michael Parker of Shelburne, Vermont, is the latest victim in a string of unsolved violent sexual crimes by a female perpetrator, BuzzFeed. Michael Parker says he was violently attacked by mob to penetrate, but some remain skeptical. CBS News. Everything you need to know about trans criminal Michael Parker, formerly Michaela Parker, the Christian Daily Monitor. There is a special place in hell for people questioning Michael Parker's honesty based on his sex assigned at birth. A very special place. Roxanne Gay. The news got you down? Exercise will get you up. New Fabletic Sportswear for 20% off by using the promo code 3344. Kate Hudson. <laughs> Pressure grows to find more evidence of Michael Parker's allegations before counting him as an official mod to penetrate victim, NBC News. Liberals and conservatives can't even agree on Michael Parker. How can they agree on the national debt? You say tomato, I say Michael Parker was not raped. Let's call the whole thing off. Hashtag mod to penetrate, Bill O'Reilly. We must end the gender shaming of victim Michael Parker. Join the conversation and resist IRL on Facebook tonight, Women's March. The best celebrity tweets from celebrities about mod to penetrate victim Michael Parker. Huffington Post. Horrified by questions of Michael Parker's honesty, I stand with him. Do you? Hashtag trans lives matter. Hashtag say his name. Hashtag stand with Michael. Katy Perry. Now on sale, I stand with Michael t-shirts 50% off with your next purchase, Zazzle. Katy Perry says she's horrified by the treatment of mod to penetrate victim Michael Parker, Yahoo News. Yahoo News. Katy Perry stands up to Michael stands up for Michael Parker in touching tweet Entertainment Weekly. Katy Perry pens heartbreaking note to Michael Parker in tweet supporting trans lives. Hello giggles. Katy Perry debuts new colorful haircut at concert benefiting trans victims of sexual assault. Mod to penetrate the Daily News. Katy Perry's hairstylist gives exclusive interview on how the singer's new do sends a political message to the world. ABC News. Miley Cyrus dons new hair color inspired by the pansexual pride flag after Katy Perry's recent hair design supporting trans, trans rights. CNN. Five easy steps to turning your hair into activism by using the LGBTQ spray-on stencil. Marie Claire. Michael Parker is the reason we need to protect our innocent children, especially our little girls. Donate now to keep American bathrooms safe. The Conservative Action Fund. Caitlyn Jenner and Jeff Foxworthy come together to discuss both sides of the Michael Parker debate on the Situation Room tonight with Wolf Blitzer on CNN. Michael Parker. Purported mod, victim, and subject of scandal reported missing by family members. New York Daily News. If you have any knowledge or whereabouts of Michael S. Parker, please call Shelburne Police Department. The Shelburne Police Department. Hashtag mod to penetrate victim Michael Parker found dead of apparent suicide near his home in Shelburne, Vermont. Channel 3 News. Amal Clooney shows her flawless curves and a red hot dress at the G8 Summit. NBC News. Edward, the Dispatch newspaper. Hi, Maud. My name is Edward Altman, and I'm a reporter for the Dispatch newspaper. A former journalist for the Dispatch by the name of Joshua Greenfield reached out to you for comment almost a decade ago, and while he no longer works the paper, I wanted to circle back now that so much time has passed and see if you'd like to give us a statement or comment regarding the recent allegations of Ezra Fisher, who came forward with a physical description of you, which has, of course, 
reopen the case. Is there anything you'd like to share with the public, Maud? Maud is offline. Maud is now online. Thank you so much. And I'd like to bring up Janet Fitch. This is just, I, it was such an interesting experience to open this book because Amber had told me um, that she was writing a book about uh, a female serial rapist. And the, her male victims. And when your friend tells you that they're writing a book about a female serial rapist, a good friend is like, oh, that's great, honey. <laughs> Keep that thought. Um, but I was, you know, probably like many of your friends, was a, afraid that of the worst. You know, I was afraid that we were going to see a revenge fantasy mm -hmm. um, with uh, the, the uh, you know, some sort of payback of horrible men and you can see how it feels kind of thing. And if this is anything but. It's anything but. I mean, I was amazed. This is only, Donald is only one of the, um, of six men each having their own voice, except for the trans man who, is, who commits suicide. Um, so he, everybody else tells that story. But what, what amazed me was the tenderness and the, the grief. And you know, these men actually are the victims of a sexual attack. And you know, it wasn't about revenge. I mean, Maude is not um, necessarily after revenge. Yeah. So tell me, how how did the book start? I mean, where at reading it, because there's a number of different voices, there's dialogue, there's monologue, there's poetry, there's tweets, and if you see the the like count of various tweets, it's, it's shocking. It's like the the counts of somebody's hairdo gets like five million <laughs> likes, but the actual grief of an actual person who's attacked is like 300, 200 people. Yeah. Um, so how did, where did it start? I mean, in the book, what section came first? Well, what came, what came first was the idea of creating um, a feeling like I, and most female antagonists that I had read or seen on screen were had to be somehow redeemable in a certain way. That they had to ultimately be likable in some facet. That there was a reason that they were behaving in the, in the way that they were. Um, and it's rare that you get to see like a truly sociopathic um, character. And I feel like for the most part, um, predatory behavior, sexual predatory behavior, uh, is very sociopathic and that there is, um, it's so much about power that there's not necessarily, unless it's like a very specific type of serial predator, um, that, it, that it really is about um, whoever they can take power over. It's not necessarily any particular type of an individual. And so I wanted to create a woman that mirrored that. And I also wanted to take the sort of um, accumulation of everything that is used to describe women, to dehumanize them, to talk about um, our bodies, talk about our weight, 
to talk about our wrinkles, to talk about how we're horse-faced, how we're ugly, how we're bitches, how we're hooved, how we're, no one says that, but probably. Um, I mean, I could think of like at least 50 um, words used to describe Hillary Clinton that would encompass the terminology that I think about. When I think about the folklore, the myth, the the mythology that we use negatively to describe women. And I thought, okay, I would be really curious to take all of that and combine it and just create that person and let her live out in the world in the most awful way of that form. As a, as a person that is completely reckless and much in the way that predators, at least up until I think like the Me Too movement, um, have lived without consequences. I really wanted Maude to have no consequences. And for her, um, for her assault and for her behavior to almost feel casual in a, in a cruel way. Um, so that's, that's where it started and then it sort of grew out from there. Did you always have the multiplicity of voices? Um, yeah, you mean like all the different, the, the characters? I, they grew slowly. It started with it started with Donald Ellis, who's like a former poet, uh, school now a school teacher, who then becomes um, somebody who becomes a real activist, almost kind of like a, a John Walsh type character, somebody who is able to pull these people together and say we won't accept it anymore. Um, and so it started with that. But there were also, without giving too much of the book away, there there were some other parts that I found were really, that, that were necessary in order to humanize and tell the story in a way that most people would would have to accept. And those things included a child, um, and those things also included um, an alt-right, like horrible, bigoted person, personality. Somebody that you would look at and go, maybe you deserve it. And when we look at that, what, how does that implicate the reader in saying, you're an awful person, perhaps you're getting what you deserve. So really looking at the whole facet and, and, and talking deeply about um, who, who is truly affected by sexual assault and not only that, but what, what are our perceptions of it and what are our projections onto that conversation? What are the things we are afraid to talk about in that conversation? And that um, I, I read that you, you actually took real Oh, commentary yeah. and flip the gender. Yeah. So the, the part that I read, the, the brief Melissa Hope thing, is a lot. There's a long transcript, and the, the tweets, if you can believe it, are a lot. There's a lot more of them too. I condensed them. Um, but the but Melissa Hope goes on this panel, has a panel of, which is also three women. Um, I think it was really important to also have uh, something where three women are discussing the male body and objectifying it in, in, in almost an inhumane way and saying, well, how is it possible that he got raped if you know, he had an erection? Which I think is very much a, a similar experience for how um, men are treated, but also how women are treated and saying, like, well, how is it possible that she got raped if fill in X, Y, or Z? And, and in this way, it's very dismissive. Um, and so one of the sections, there's three women that are talking on that panel, and one of those women, um, I actually took a direct transcript from a Nancy Grace segment where she was talking to a prosecutor, um, get, getting some advice and some thought about the Jane Doe uh, rape trial and the Stanford rape uh, case, um, in which she was basically saying, like, you have to have uh, the wherewithal to, to think for yourself and to, to not drink. Um, and if you drink, you put yourself in these circumstances. And when you do that, you know, how can you possibly say that you weren't culpable? 
Um, and so I took the direct uh, language verbatim of the transcript and I flipped the gender pronouns. And that section is, for people who had first read the book, was the one of the largest um, three friends of mine who were cis white guys uh, read the book before anybody else had and, and all of them kind of felt like it was a little too exaggerated um, until I pointed that out to them. And then they were kind of shocked by it when I said, this is actually real language that I took. Um, not, a, not an ounce of it has changed, uh, except the gender pronoun and not how you feel. So it was like a very, you know, illuminating, hard conversation to have and to sort of be able to hopefully open the door to the perception of what it's like. To not just say like, I hope you, I hope you sympathize with how I feel, but I hope you, um, I hope you empathically understand what it is like to be in this position. That's all I can ever hope for the book. Which is the great thing about fiction, is that it's walking a mile in someone's shoes, yeah. not just being told about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, this was upside down. Um, <laughs> um, so, whenever you write something like this, it's a, this is a sophisticated work of fiction. Uh, it's not a straightforward thing. It's told in many voices, many forms. Uh, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty avant-garde work, as well as having a strong, uh, agenda, you know, I wouldn't say agenda, but you know, a a a, a, a purpose. There's a strong purpose, but there's also, you know, really beautiful form, and. Um, the reaction when you are reviewed or profiled, I mean, you're an actress, you've been interviewed a lot in your life, you've been profiled, you know. When people get things wrong about you as an actress versus getting things wrong about you as a writer, do you, which do you hate more? <laughs> which hurts more, you know? I mean, there's such a thick skin from acting from such a young age, um, there's such a sense of like, I can't, also acting doesn't mean very much to me. Acting doesn't really mean very much to me. I think I'm good at it and I enjoy it and I love it and I love creating a character, but it doesn't, it doesn't represent who I am. It's you're often playing a character who is no one who you will ever be, but then also sometimes totally who you are. Um, whereas I think the writing, unfortunately, for a lot of my experience, it's always been tied to the acting. And so people have a hard time seeing the separation between a book like this, which I get, and like Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. They're just gonna like, that's hard. You know, like, she wears pants and she goes up into the grapes. It's complicated. Um, and I, I, totally, I totally get that, but um, there, there seems to be, and I don't know, maybe it's like this for men, but I don't suspect it is as much, but there seems to be, I think with predominantly most women, there is a sense of feeling like you are not really allowed to be outside of the, the, the compartment in which you were born in. And once you are born there, um, not necessarily just physically, but also um, spiritually and creatively, that is where you must live. And if anyone, uh, you know, dare, uh, uh, allow you outside of that you know I think it's it's 
it's a complicated experience for me, and um, and I'm I'm grateful for when I feel like somebody um, holds true to maybe what I'm missing or to what I'm not so good at or where I need to be seeing things, while also just being honest and not um, writing under the guise of that particular lens, because I feel like that lens is false, and it's uh, it's very hard to, to say. Yeah, definitely drag in a movie that I did um, 13 years ago into the conversation of me as a writer now. That's a that's a great byline for you. Um, that has been some of my experience, but not all of it. I, I've been grateful that. And by the way, two LA writers, um, Falling James and a woman named um, April Wolf, uh, Falling did this beautiful piece in LA Weekly that really um, almost brought me to tears because I just felt like it was so reflective of what the book wanted to say in the world. Um, and then also April's, same with the LA Times, so I'm grateful to the LA writers um, who have really uh, championed the work. Yeah, I, I uh, that Falling James uh, review was really amazing, and I just wanted to quote a little bit. Uh, Instead of turning male victims into typical caricatures who deserve punishment, an abusive boss or cheating husband, for instance, the author instead presents most of them as dynamically unique individuals who reveal their souls, hopes, fears, and even gallows humor in separately distinctive and poignantly moving ways. And it's that chorus of voices that uh, the characters own and then other people describing yeah. them and uh, uh, different facets of their experience. I, I always think of that as an actor's sensibility, the ability to inhabit so many voices. Um, and Dark Sparkler the same way. Um, you know, so I wonder about your acting experience. Does your acting experience help unlock characters for you? Oh yeah, we were having, Janet and I were having a conversation um, a little bit about um, uh, the central nervous system. We were having a drink before this and just thinking about like, I was pondering out loud of what the what it's what toll it takes. Maybe I'll write something on it someday. But, but growing up as a child actor, when you are um, when you emote for a living unnaturally, when that is your job, um, before your whole body is formed, and that's what you do all day long, every day, is you fake cry, you fake emote. And I just wonder what kind of toll that takes on the central nervous system. It might explain a lot of things. <laughs> Um, but it also, I think, it has also, also made me very um, uh, susceptible to being empathic in, in both a really nurturing, wonderful way for my art, and also a like, debilitating, crippling way. It is both good and bad, um, that empathic quality. And so I really applied that to these men, and I also just thought about the ways in which I have felt men that I know and love have wanted to emote and they don't know how to. That's kind of the only way I can describe it is like a deep understanding of their um, prescribed limitations and wondering what it would be like in a world in which we can actually hear and feel their emotions. So as much as I feel like women are silenced, I feel that men are silenced too. And in a world where... where where masculinity takes precedence over everything else for any gender, that that is the forefront of how we're all supposed to live, we're told that. And so I wanted to explore a world in which, yes, some of them 
feel that way and some of them live that way, but that, that others are just deeply emotional creatures in a really beautiful, complex way. And, and then others also like, you know, they, they find a way to get through their experience by making jokes about it. Because sometimes that's all we have, is to like laugh at the fucking cruelty of the world. So I really wanted to, to not just create narrow male uh, identities. I wanted to, to see whether or not they turned out to be true. And, and so far, from what I understand, they are very true life. Um, just to see what that would look like to explore. And it's interesting that some of the response that you're getting in the media because you're, you know, you have a kind of a big platform, you know. Sister of the traveling pants. That's right. <laughs> Emily Quartermain, you know, <laughs> General <laughs> Hospital. Um, that do you see the? Two blocks from here. Do you see <laughs> that? Dad, be quiet. Um, <laughs> Do you sometimes get a kind of a hall of mirrors feeling oh, man. as people are responding to a book that's very concerned with how our society treats victims? And um, like they've read the book, mm -hmm. but their response very much in like the Twitter storm that you heard some of, um, that the reaction is part of that part of that response that is the problem to begin, or part of the problem. Yeah, I, I think it's on all of us to kind of look at our own behavior, and I'm, I turn to myself as well. I include myself in that chapter in saying, like, I often open my mouth in the, you know, Twittersphere um, <laughs> in harmful ways when you think you're helping. And I think that especially for us, for all of us who are liberal-minded and who really believe we are here to help advance um, the well-being of others, especially uh, marginalized peoples, like to take a second to maybe think that what we're doing is not helping. Um, that the way in which we think we are aiding and helping doesn't actually do anything. It doesn't move the needle and sometimes it harms more than it does good, um, just because we go where we make our daily effort to go on social media and make sure to copy and paste the hash appropriate hashtag for whatever thing someone's upset about. How does that actually affect the daily life of people whose lives are in jeopardy? And I ask myself that all the time, and I fuck up constantly, and I'm always happy to 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 own it and to not be. Um, defensive about it, which I think I really is a, a core value of mine that I learned from my mother who's an educator and, um, and teaches counsel in schools here in Los Angeles. So I grew up being learning, you know, dialogical practice in listening to others speak. I learned how to listen when I was really young. Mm -hmm. And I think that Twitter offers no place for that. Mm -hmm. And the point of putting it in this book was to create a permanence to show people um, how how cruel it can be when it's actually on the page forever like this, as opposed to us just being able to like scroll through it and then just go on our day. So I hope that more than than being a condemnation or a or a um, you know uh, you know looking at things badly, I hope it just I hope it proposes a question. That's all. So people go away reading that and just asking themselves a question and then maybe looking at their own involvement. 
I'd just like to ask one more question, and then should we open it up? Sure. The other, the question that I wanted to ask is that you came up as a poet here in LA, um, and this is a very poetic work. It's a very fragmented story. It's a really sophisticated, it's a sophisticated kind of risky storytelling that that uh, I can see. You know the your uh, poetry background, but I'd like you to talk a little bit about coming up as a poet because people might not know that about you. Yeah, I um, I published a couple books of poetry. Dark Sparkler was the last one, which um, oh. uh, which looks at explores in first and third person narratives the lives and deaths of child star actresses, predominantly um, young actresses. And then there's like an epilogue at the end, which um, are sort of meta poems, my experience um, growing up as a child actress and ultimately what I had in common with a lot of these women was a needed sense of death, of, um, of feeling like the me that it had existed needed to cease. Not literal death, but metaphorical death of like how do you end what you were and begin who you are. Um, in a world that does not want that for you at all. Um, so that, book, that book took like eight years to write, and it was an absolute like exorcism for me. It was brutal. Um, so, so I, I have come from a world of, back, of poetry. Um, I grew up. I, I used to make chapbooks. My mom would take me to Kinkos, and I would make poetry chapbooks, and we'd get them stapled, and I'd sell them for like two dollars. What, Dad? What do you want? Do you need props? Do you need props? No, you had nothing to do with it. You're purely the donated seed, okay? Does anybody have a joint for this man? In the to a lot of poets growing up. I was around a lot of the really wonderful um, uh, poets of the 60s movement and, and you know, the Jack Hirschmans and the Lawrence Ferlinghetti's and Mary Baracas and Diane De Primas and Michael McClure's, all of them. So I was lucky to be surrounded by them and artists and, um, and that community. And that is, that's really the world where I grew up in. So my brain was always... Um, sort of exposed to that at a young age. And I think it informs everything, including, if any of you guys don't know, but I had the deep pleasure of adapting Janet's uh, book. One of the great um, passion projects of my life. I was obsessed with this book for half a decade. Um, that's like a whole conversation. Yeah, but I think of, you know, I think of Wanda Coleman. Oh, you Wanda, know, who's like the savage god of LA poetry, yeah. goddess, and you know, I see that um, caring about how you know pe how unseen people live, how it is to you know what struggle is, and I hear that clear the clearness of her voice. Yeah, um, Wanda used to you. always. I wrote a line in my first poetry book where I said. Crack the nut in you, Amber. Crack her hard. And Wanda was like about that line. She loved it. She would she would email me about that line like every once in a while. And she was she would always tell me, "You are at your greatest as a writer when you are filled with rage. That is when you access your deepest points of communication." Which I think is like most women are really are told to to stay away from that and to stay away from their emotions and to know that those things are not um, 
like ways of communicating or understanding uh, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we should only think in rational thoughts. So Wanda was very different in that way. When you talk about the toll that writing, that this kind of writing takes, you know, you're saying, I don't know if it's for better or for worse. Well, I think, you know, you should think about the sacrifices that writers are offering you, you know, when they take on such deeply disturbing material yeah. is that, you know, they're ripping that out of their heart. So let's have a, should we have some questions? Yes, take a couple questions, yes. Yes, Chia. Yeah. Can we start talking about the movie? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we've been back at Connections. Yeah, no. <laughs> we'll be going, y'all. <laughs> there, is, there is some, yes, a lot of interest about the movie, which is like, you and I are going to have to talk about that, because it's a weird experience to have somebody want to, like, adapt your book, and then... <laughs> it is sort of weird. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very conflicted about it. <laughs> I feel like... Yeah. Another one? This one? Uh, I just... Um... I have read a whole book about it. Oh, I, I looked through a lot of sections of it and I like it. Uh, and I took it over and she's got it first and it's awesome. <laughs> and I love to hear what you're reading from it. Um, and the humor in it um, is like so profound and right on. And um, it sort of makes it work in some way that I think, you know, makes it satire. Um, and I, I wonder, um, how much that guided you as you were writing the book. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, so you're asking about the, some of the satire that's in the book, a little bit you read in the tweet section. Um, there's a there's a also a particular section, um, there's several, but this, this character, Paris Sullivan, who's sort of a failed um, comedian uh, who's somebody who, who is very repressed in a lot of ways, and his way of dealing with what happens to him, which is a, a large sexual physical violence, um, uh, is to make jokes about it, and like often inappropriate in his therapy groups and things like that, and it's his way of getting through it, but then also you sort of see even his pain, when he's not trying to be funny, there is an aspect to him that's like, life is cruel, and, and uh, what are you gonna do about it? So, I don't know, I, I, I I don't. I think aspects of Dark Sparkler had humor. Certainly, um, Painted Black, uh, the film we made together, definitely was important for me to create a book that was um, uh, lived in a in a world of archness that was slightly, you know, Sunset Boulevard esque. I used to always describe it as if. Um, David Lynch had directed Great Gardens, and that to me was a really interesting movie. And so I like to live in those in those sort of um, tethered worlds. So humor to me is is an accessible point, especially within poetry. I know that I know some of the great poets that I love will start a poem off and make you smile and make you laugh and disarm you, and then they will rip your guts out immediately <laughs> afterwards. And that to me is like a potent, powerful writer. Yeah, that baby agrees. <laughs> Maybe we'll take one more question than this one. Yes. Were you ever tempted, if you were writing this, to fall into a revenge narrative or a revenge fantasy? Was I ever tempted to have it fall into a revenge fantasy? I don't know what that would look like. Um, so I uh, probably not. No. I mean, I don't know. I only know the. I only know the book that I wrote and the way in which it came to me. Um, and it started with the power of the female 
and, and trying to uplift and change the stereotypes of femininity and how we identify with it and what its powers are, what its capabilities are, and what its definitions are. And then from there I kind of went out and the secondary thought was like, oh, maybe she's not attacking you know, other women, maybe it is you know, other genders. Like, What does that look like um, when we're, when we're um, looking at things through that lens? But I'd never, I don't, I'm gonna leave like revenge fantasy, I'm, like torture porn for Handmaid's Tale. I'm gonna leave that for them. <laughs> Do their cool thing. Um, but yeah. Uh, one more question, and then we'll. Yes, sir. Um, the celebrity tweets portion. Did you have to get permission from them, or was That's it kind of like? Because she uses the real, real people's names. I was like, yeah. you know, wow. my copy is like, oh my god. That I definitely texted who I who I know to say hey you're in here I know Megan McCain so I texted her um, uh, she understood um, I texted Roxanne Gay I told some people that I that I knew um, and and uh, no because it because it's not it's fictitious and so it, it it's sort of lives under that but I, there's definitely several things in here that legal had to look at Harper Collins to make sure I wasn't going to get sued. The alt-right character is very similar to Milo Yiannopoulos and you know these are very litigious people so looking at that but in speaking of those tweets too there are several layered throughout it when you talk about I'm glad you brought up like the number of tweets or retweets or likes it's really specific when you're reading the book to look at that and see who is liked and who isn't and there's maybe about three tweets placed throughout the whole that whole section that are from real women on Twitter, and I found their tweets, and it, it's usually something like, I, you know, my, it doesn't matter how many times my mom says it's okay to sleep in the same bed with someone, I just can't. You know, like something as simple as that, um, and then it's like, you know, zero comments, zero likes, zero retweets, next to like a funny Jim Gaffigan thing. So, you know, sort of showing about mod, like showing the difference between what we really care about. And certainly that last section when I talk about Michael Parker and his life and his, his experience, those tweets, like there's very few um, uh, retweets and sort of, sort of anything like that, so. Can I ask a quick question? Yes. You, you're very um, free with form. Free yeah. is probably the wrong word because yeah. there's a lot of discipline to use it. But you have lists, you have letters, you have... You know, when you open it, it's one line per page mm -hmm. in the beginning. Um, Twitter. Uh, did you know you were going to do that, or did you start trying to write a straight narrative and then realize no? So I wrote, I did write two chapters of the book, um, and I gave them to my editor at that time, Calvert Morgan at um, HarperCollins, who's a phenomenal editor. And he was like, these are not good. These are not good. And he was right. And we went and had a dinner, and this was maybe like four years ago, and um, and, and we, I had a very illuminating experience talking to him about that because he basically was like, you are writing like what you think a fiction writer sounds like. And you need to write with what you have, what you've been gifted with, and you need to not, you know, not include that in this novel. Um, and you are free to experiment. And as somebody, um, I, I have a form of dyslexia, so I never, was never a great reader. I was a girl in school that was like, and when everyone was like flipping through the Babysitter's Club books, and they were like, oh my god, I'm reading a page a minute. I would just blur my eyes like, woohoo! Hey. I never, I never read. I really had a hard time when I was a kid. So, so, um, so I think there was like a fear for me of, of really being um, 
of what a fiction writer looked like. And then I think once I had that conversation with them, there was freedom to be what I wanted, to write how I wanted to write and not think in terms of what the genre was supposed to be in particular. Um, and that really sort of allowed me to just run wild with it and just say like, I can put like one sentence on a page and then go to the next page. And that was fun. I mean, it was fun in the experimenting of it. And, and to me, in that way, um, it, it felt true to how I've always done creative things, which is like you said, kind of slightly experimental. Um, yeah. All right, you guys, thank you so much for being here. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.